Hey everyone, really great show today. We had Supermassive of the Defiant, one of the filmmakers, join Node Mode, which is the show hosted by Depeche Node that's focused on art in Web3. We talked to Supermassive about his experience at the Defiant, the filmmaking chops that he has from the quote-unquote Web2 world. He coins it fiat filmmaking and where he sees uh, Web3 content going, what his next venture is going to be in Web3 content, and a little bit about his thoughts on art and collectibles in the NFT space. Overall, it's a really fun conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Node Mode. I am Node here with the master himself, Pio. And you are listening to the NFT podcast focused on digital art. We talk with artists, OG collectors, and big brain DGENs about all things NFTs. As usual, nothing in this video is financial advice. We are not financial advisors. And the NFT space is incredibly risky. So do your own research and don't play us for your dumb decisions. Please hit the like button, smash that subscribe button, and share your friends. Today is the day we get to sit at the feet of a man who has amassed over <laughs> 5 million views on YouTube, created the greatest NFT movie of all time, has an incredibly sexy accent, was the president of the Ice Hockey Club at the University of Oxford, former creative director of Harmony, a blockchain which saw its TVL rise and fall faster than a Solana PFP mint. Behold, the video producer behind The Defiant, the legend himself, super massive. Welcome to the show. Where's this guy? This was such a great buildup. I'm wondering where he is. Like, you let me know when he turns up, won't you? Your wow. accent itself is still sexy, man. Just absolutely beautiful. <laughs> How's it going? It's going good. How's it going with you good selves? Oh, excellent, excellent. I feel like we got to start with the ice hockey club. Please tell us about this, how it came to be. Oh, you well, that's a good story because, like, English people are not really known for playing ice hockey, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, my university had this weird thing where they would, they would like, we would get drunk a lot and then we would rent out the ice at like 2 a.m. when it's super cheap and then just go and play non contact ice hockey. So, you turn up and you don't have to put on all the kit and everything else, and the puck has to stay on the ice. And we called it alternatives, but that basically it got really popular. I have no idea why. I think it's basically because when people came home from the pub, they were like, what can we do now? And like, I don't know, hang out with girls or play poker. No, let's go and play ice hockey. <laughs> so, so that's what we did. And then, uh, I, yeah, I became president of that club because I just loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I actually just started playing ice hockey again. And I suck so bad. <laughs> it's... it's it's kind of beautiful. I was like, I, I remember, yeah, stick handling, stick handling. I, yeah, no, no, I suck. <laughs> I'm loving it. It's good stuff. I love that. I mean, not very many people can say they were the president of the ice hockey club at Oxford. I mean, do you just kind of wander around the street and say, look at these poor souls. Their IQ levels are just not up to par, and nor do they know how to play hockey. Like, is this, are you like a one in a billion kind of guy? How many presidents of the ice hockey club are there? Well, I don't know, but now I'm thinking I should print up a line of t-shirts and maybe some some novelty underwear just to celebrate this fact, and then maybe I could make some money off the fact. That'd be great. Um, no, I mean, I don't I don't tend to mention that very much. The thing is, like, if, if you make films and you're in that line of work, where you went to university doesn't matter one bit. It really doesn't. Like, if you if you went to NYU for filmmaking. If anything, that might take Maybe. away that might take away from it, though. You know, like going to film school is not an indicator at all, and the people that are doing the best work there are like people that taught themselves. You know, I don't. Well, I mean, I would have loved to have gone to film school. Genuinely, I would love to sit there and just absorb film and chat with people who are into film and argue with them and get into all of that. Didn't do it, but you know, 
that doesn't, I mean, some really great filmmakers come out of film school, but you're right. The, the, the era we're in now, the content creators and people who can learn how to light things, how to shoot things, how to write scripts from YouTube, you don't need film school at all. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, uh, I, you know, after looking at your content, it's, I mean, it's by far and away the most high quality production. Like somebody's actually writing out scripts and shooting real scenes. Uh, I started doing some digging and I found your IMDb profile, Sir Robin Schmidt. Oh, wow. uh, it's epic. Uh, you have an award-winning film called Aftermath. Uh, I'd love to learn a little, after little death. more about, oh, After Death. Sorry. After, after Death. death. After yes. death, along with atmospheric, there's a lot of A's in there. You know, you've got there's lots a lot of A's. movies. Yeah, I'm all about the ass, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after death. So, you know, if you're a filmmaker, back in the old days, making a feature film was like, there was that was your Everest. So if you've got a feature film made, oh no, here it is. Look at oh, that. Lordy. You've got a three-star rating. That's better than two, dude. Look at that. <laughs> Damn. Damn. Uh, that's like that means that people have actually watched it that's incredible there you go. <laughs> so, we, so we uh we made this film back in 2016 so as my best friend said look we need to make a feature film i think i can get a hundred thousand dollars together to to make this thing i have a location it's this amazing shack in like in norfolk we just shoot it for this location we do it in like 10 days and then we've made a feature film i was like yeah okay i'll do it i'll do it i'll do it and we did it and it was really, really hard. It was way harder than we ever expected. Um, so that was the feature film. And, and it took us like about a year and a half to finish the edit on it. And then we got it into some festivals, but you know, by the time we made it, horror was not hot anymore. And there had been this period like when Bloomhouse was just chucking out amazing box office horror movies, left, right and center, horror was really hot. And then we, <laughs> and then we made this film and horror was not hot anymore. So you have this horrible, a moment where you go and sell your film at Cannes in the market. So you go to the Cannes Film Festival, really at the market, and there's like five, 6,000 films in that market all being sold at booths. And then you just realize in that moment how much product is out there. Yeah. And that was, that was then. I can't imagine it's any better now. Yeah, it's, there's I'm... so much product. But, but a lot of the talent's gone to TV. But it's even so, it's like, there's a ton of product out there. I imagine it was brutal kind of, you know, I've got a few friends in the film industry and they, it feels like half of the effort is, is actually making the film. And then the other half is seeing if you can actually sell, sell the thing, right? Like just years of hustle and grit and pain are associated with it. Yeah. So much, so much. I was, I had a stream with Dan Sickles today. Who's amazing Sundance winning documentary filmmaker. And I, he's just like the graft never stops. And it's, it's interesting comparing that, process to the process of um making youtube videos because I, I mean i've i've shot a feature film you can see the trailer it's you know it's a proper film yep. yeah yeah and, and i and i love doing that and i've always loved like just telling stories and playing with lenses and making things kind of fun and cinematic and just trying to figure out an, an unusual way to tell a story but then it was just like okay well now you have to do that every week and so we just sort of tried to insert some of what you've just seen there into these videos about DeFi. Like nobody needs a horror film intro to a film about DeFi. Nobody needs there to be like a post-apocalyptic. Uh, by the way, this film, I didn't make this one. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I was like, is this just playing like an ad for a Colin Farrell movie? Now, now we're just moving to other stuff. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Yes. I mean, we could talk about that if you want, but it's um, <laughs> okay. 
Uh, I love the way that Joey Badaboom on the comments just says, this guy fucks. <laughs> yeah. Dude, you should know Joey Badaboom. Like, he will... He He's will opinionated. Some, he'll drop some heavy comments, dude. So if you want a good time, just look for him in the chat throughout the show. And dude, he's oh, fantastic. Sure. Um, well, my wife is just on the sofa over there, so... <laughs> She's she's co-signing Joey Badaboom. <laughs> she's like, absolutely, man. Absolutely. I love it. You guys. This is great. So, I mean, you I want to talk before we jump into like the content creation side. I imagine, you know, just from knowing you you and your past and your love for, you know, creating and directing films, I imagine you uh like art. So, I want to I want to know like you you don't like art at all. Do you not own nope. any art pieces ever? He's shaking his head. I, no, I do. I do. I, the, the problem is, like, film is an art, right? And it, and it encompasses quite a few different art forms. So, like, production design, you know, the wardrobe department, the, the photography of the film itself, editing, sound design. These are all art forms. But I had always kind of bypassed fine art and sculpture. It just hadn't been on my radar. I'd kind of gone or skirted around the outside of it. But of course I was educating myself on art in general and different types of art, music as well. And it was only really kind of when I started properly investigating NFTs that I that I got into art. Yeah, same. And that was like summer 2020. So I was, I mean, I'd always been around art. My, my, my wife's a dancer as well. So I'd appreciated that side of things. Her parents are art teachers and it it's around. And it's it's around me, but like really the the appreciation for more things like generative art that that was totally not on my radar. So art has been a relatively late thing for me. Even I mean, even though I, I kind of done a lot of work for Sotheby's, going and filming artworks like Warhol's, Rothko's in situ before they went onto auction, and like you're standing this far away, and you know if the tripod falls over, that's well, that's a million dollars. You just <laughs> you just that's, you're that's, screwed. That's, yeah. You're screwed. Um, so. You know, definitely had an appreciation for it, and and even like I live in the Netherlands, and of course, we have the Dutch masters in you know prominence here. And you go and see those paintings up close, you just go, "How did these guys do that? This is insane! This is insane!" And then suddenly you appreciate just how how crafty they actually were. So art was really kind of for me in terms of collecting and really being on it, um, quite a late thing, generally. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like it's almost encouraging hearing that from you because a lot of us uh, are in the same boat, right? Like, I always appreciated art, but I never honestly collected it until NFTs, uh, and so and that's where I really started to fall in love. So, do you? Uh, I mean, let's let's talk about some of your favorite artists on the uh, in the digital side on NFTs. Do you own any works that you're just super stoked on, or have any artists that you would say, okay, I love their work? Yeah, I've got a Kevin Abosh. That was a part of his recent drop um, with Creative Work Studios, and it's it, as it turned out, it was a very low participation mint, and it's connected to a bottle of very very expensive sake. Nice. I kind of like those ones. Yeah, where they, you where get they a little physical kind of, bonus there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And but I've tended to fall more into the kind of PFP side of things. Um, that's actually not the one; it's the more recent one. Um, I forget the name of it, but um, yeah. The, so, so that that I'm really enjoying. The I loved the the currency by Damien Hurst. I actually got two physicals of that, which we need to put up in my house. Nice. Um, really, really liked that one. 
I mean, you know, Tyler Hobbs doing great work. Trevor Jones is a man. I've got I've got a Trevor Jones original Ice Cube that he gave me after I made a film uh, with him up in the office, which I'm um, you know he gave it to me personally, and he's such a good guy. I really love Trevor. Oh, that a bit. is so cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I generally oh, a bit of a philistine, a bit of a philistine. But I, I like I like the PFPs. Like me a bit of PFP. That is so interesting. I would have, I totally would have guessed you would have been the opposite, but okay. That was going to be my next question is. No, I, I tell you what it is. I just, I, I'm, I'm, I just can't afford the stuff that I like. <laughs> right. Oh well, yeah. You that's know. the challenge, right? It's like, oh yeah, I'd love to pick up some of these, uh, one of one X copies. Right. But it's like, well, that's officially, uh, whales only. Um, I know, do you see, do you see that punk went for 3,300 ETH? Yes. Like, what, yeah. What's, I, I'm, what's I, that all about? Yeah, I'm so <laughs> curious. Who bought that? I I was asking that on the show this morning, and NFT Nick <laughs> said it was him, of course. And you know, <laughs> that's uh, and then we did, and then we figured out that the that the sale of that was worth more than uh, you know all the the money on the balance sheet of the company that they run. So it's definitely not Nick. Uh, but I I yeah, I'm so curious if the institutions are actually coming uh, when it comes to that, uh, and and some of these big purchases that have happened as of late. Um, but okay, so. So digital art versus PFPs. I, that was going to be my question to you. Like, uh, so you're a PFP guy. Let's talk about your favorite ones then. Like, which ones do you own? Which communities are are your favorites? So I have to give a shout out to Cyber Brokers, Josie Bellini. I think Josie's just one of my favorite people in the space. And uh, I did the I did the podcast for Cyber Brokers. So I read the law in my voice. In my uh, voice acting. I just got get, it. get it down, get it down here. I did not tell it always ends up. It always ends up sounds like Carl Urban from uh, The Boys. <laughs> oh, what are you doing? What are you doing over there, Sharpie? <laughs> Frenchie? Um, so, yeah, Cyber Brokers are awesome. Um, it's fully on chain. I love the art. I love Josie. And I love the community. They're really just <clears throat> the best. I've heard a lot I of love... good things about Cyber Brokers. Like, it, what's the, aside from just, okay, the community's great, the art's great. Like, What's what's the angle here to this collection? Because I've never honestly taken the time, but I've heard from multiple people, hey, this is a great collection. Well, I think it's partly the, the team that kind of formed around it to build the storytelling and the IP side of it was like amongst the best people you could have asked for in the space. Actually, the team that have formerly worked at Aku, which is another project I love, Akutas. Oh, um, don't need to tell Pio that. Man, it's been like, I, I feel like you haven't, dude, Pio used to talk about Aku about like 10 times a day, and it's been a little quiet recently, dude. Because uh, everyone, everyone says I'm it's biased good. and I can't stand that. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, is, is Pio a moon god then? Of course, of course. Come on. Of if, if you know, you know. Um, so, so what's the deal with Cyberworkers? Well, lots of innovation, innovative, weird things that they do. Um, it's kind of a combination of cyberpunk storytelling. The law is really good. The the NFTs, when they drop, the different pieces of it are really good. But it's, it's the quests as well. The monthly quests are really well designed. Unfortunately, the people who solve them, solve them way too quickly. But the, the way they're building it out, it's really solid and robust. And it feels like it can weather any storm that the market might throw at it, which is great. Plus, like, just, I mean, the art's so cool. It's really distinctive. There isn't it anything is. else that looks like it. And, and in that sense, I kind of have to kind of say a shout out to Doodles as well, because Doodles artwork is also just, it's so distinctive. And I remember Beanie saying, who buys this shit? This is garbage. No one's going to be interested in this. And like, unlike most of the other times, Beanie in this case was actually wrong. 
Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. Beanie, yeah. Beanie yeah. could be wrong. I just couldn't believe it. Beanie, he was right about everything, but not this one. Um, so I, I love doodles. They're just kind of quirky, so distinctive. And even though they got copied senseless, um, there is only one doodles. And then I have a soft spot for pudgy penguins, actually. Mm. Weirdly. Your CT just side is showing there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I've had a chance to speak to Luca, who rescued them on a number of different occasions. And he's just such, he's got such a beautiful vision for what he wants it to be. And there isn't any other project that's really kind of pushing towards kids and making something that's specifically for kids. Everything is so adult and Larry in the NFT space that it's kind of refreshing to see something that isn't that. So I really love where they're going with it. And it, yeah. um, you know, my kids love them as well. Yeah, that's awesome. And there's, there's, I feel there's, like... there's, yeah, there's plenty more, but I think those, those are the ones that top of my head jump out. Like the Subducks community, I've, I've been in since the beginning and they're just bananas. Uh, so I have a soft spot for them. Um, <laughs> yes, Subducks is kind of like where the nifty, you know, I feel like we're always going head to head on the, in terms of the floor price with Subducks, dude. We're like always very close. Uh, and I've always loved the art. Uh, with this with this uh collection i just never took the time to dive in fully um there's too many yeah. right yeah there are yeah there's there too, are way too many. There's too many yeah that's awesome okay and, so what do you what do you feel about the future of pfps like are we have we passed the heyday or is there a future there uh in terms of are we going to see just and another explosion or is everybody still sick of these things it depends right it depends if you if you were buying them to flip them or you actually gave a shit about the community you were in. Because uh, I think this is, there's some really fun and weird community experiments that have sprung up. But as with so many things, once the tide turns a little bit and the enthusiasm goes away, I think a lot of developers just give up. A lot of teams just give up. Yep. So seeing who sticks around and actually decides to persevere with the journey and raise enough money. So like a team like Fluffs, like they're building out such a massive ecosystem of different properties and different things. And I, and I definitely have to give them a mention because again, I, I speak to that team, not a lot, but reasonably regularly. And they're just, just doing such a weird and different thing. The future verse, their version of the metaverse is it's like, it's just got so much depth to it. Um, but the fluffs is like, there's fluffs, there's party bears, there's honeys. There's bees, sorry, then then there's like weapons that are made by Weta Workshop that did all the, you know, the, the visual effects for the Lord of the Rings. It's just, there's just so much stuff. And once they all kind of link together, I think it's going to be really fun. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I think there's, there's a lot more room to grow for PFPs. There's just going to be a different thing. And I'll tell you what, though, if, if people have held onto these things through three years of a bear market and come out the other side and they still have them, they're going to be exponentially more attached to them than they would have been during the bull market. And I think you're going to see some some more flexing from teams that did that and, and continue to execute. Just because I think there's so much more you can do with them. They can represent so much more. And the NFT itself is a format where you can you can just you can do so many different things with it. So I'm I'm I don't think PFPs are played out by any stretch. I don't think NFTs are by any means played out. There's a, there's a lot more juice in the tank. Totally, uh, agree. but it will re but it will require like teams to to be a lot more a lot more mindful about what they do. Like, don't just add a shitcoin because 
I mean, it's my personal belief that the moment you add a shit coin, you're kind of dead. Probably. Yeah. The the fluffs I've uh, I've never given them their due credit because these bunnies just creep me out. Uh, yeah, they're well made though. Yeah. Look at the way they move. They move in a in a really like crazy Creep, way, really creepy that's, way. Yeah, absolutely. That's most people. Yeah, that's most people's first reaction, and it's like, yeah, I get it. But actually, you know, you do your homework on them, and like, there's a lot going on there, and it's it's some. I mean, I'm, I, I can't guarantee any project success, but I like the hustle with these guys a lot. Yeah, agreed. So I've I've got a lot more questions, but I wanna I wanna let Pio ask because Pio's a man of content, you know. And so you guys you guys are like kindred spirits, and I imagine he's got some questions on the content creation side uh, and your experience there. I mean, uh, let me just say before I hand it over, like I again, if nobody's watched your your channel, like it is the highest quality content, highest effort, like. You actually, you can tell that you actually cared about your work. So just wanted to give you, <laughs> throw you those flowers because uh, not everybody, not everybody does. And so, uh, yeah, I'll let PO ask some questions here because I know he's got plenty to ask on the content side. Yeah, I guess I'd be curious right off the bat how you think that quote unquote, like web three content evolves over time. Like this, this channel that you're on right now, this as of now is like an NFT channel. Occasionally there'll be some crypto discussion, but if you're a believer in NFTs, then I think a fundamental part of that belief is that you know, quote unquote, NFTs like blockchain is just a technology layer that will end up disrupting, you know, every vertical eventually, just like the internet did. So I guess over time, like what does like NFT content look like? Does it get really segmented and it's like, you know, collectibles flipping versus fine art or does it stay the way it is right now where it's like all encompassing? I'd love to know if you thought at all about the future of like Web3 and NFT specific content. Yeah, all, all the time. Because as you already say, the N NFT is like a file format in a sense. It's kind of this open wrapper for putting stuff in and it can represent all manner of different things. I had a really interesting chat with Justin Bannon from Boson Protocol today and they were talking about how they were disrupting commerce. And instead of it being, you know, all shopping going through Amazon, it's using NFTs. So you have an NFT that a buyer buys an item and it gets represented as an NFT and then it can be redeemed for a physical item at a certain point, or you can just continue to sell that NFT. And it sounds really easy and simple for us, but like executing that as a smart contract on Ethereum was pretty expensive, but doing it on Polygon now, they've got it down to like a buck or a couple of bucks. And so you've got this, this idea of everything that was like Amazon or Alibaba in terms of like retail services can be NFTs and probably will be NFTs. That's pretty wild. That's that's like everything. It's these AirPods, it's this Dopper, it's the computer I'm doing this on. That will all be floating around as NFTs. That's insane. That's insane. Um, so that's one part. And then if you think back to where Amazon was, it started off as a bookshop and then they added DVDs and then they added dog food. And they slowly had these niches and added more verticals. But what was always interesting about that and eBay as well, it was very easy to find those verticals. You go on OpenSea, you can't find those verticals. And people, I think, were thinking that maybe different marketplaces would spring up to cater for different verticals. It hasn't really happened. But I suspect either that will happen or we'll have one kind of mega marketplace where all those verticals are in, but they'll be community owned in, in some way. That's kind of fun. 
But then in terms of content creation, well, the first thing you think of is where's the big bad guy? And it's the platforms in most people's eyes. It's Facebook is bad. YouTube is bad. Twitch is bad. And Twitch this week has proven themselves to be quite bad. Yes. Um, but, you know, in the past, there's, there was the apocalypse on YouTube. It proved itself to be bad. And we we know when we make content for these platforms that we are licensing them the content for them to put ads on. So we are the licensor of our content. Well, at least you should know that. And so it's a symbiotic relationship, but the platform sets the terms and they can change those terms at any point. So that fundamentally should be something that Web3 should be looking to disrupt. But I mean, get real. Like, are you going to tell me that a platform aiming to be a decentralized YouTube can scale fast enough and attract enough people to build on it right now in its current form? No, no chance. So then you get to this kind of game of incentives where it's like, okay, we're at a token, so we'll pay you to watch videos. They would pay me in what? Like your native shitcoin, as we've already said, <laughs> dead. That's, that's, that's not going to work. So it, be it begins to kind of fall into a different place, which is what is the bit that we can disrupt now? And say we call it Web 2.5, and then slowly that becomes a revolution that leads us to the next thing, which is if, well, nobody saw TikTok coming, right? And I don't think anybody's going to see the metaverse coming or what the metaverse version of Instagram will be. So something is going to happen. I don't know what that is, but I know that that's where it is going to happen. There'll be a thing, maybe we call it the MTV of the metaverse that will grow up and be this place where our generation's version of Jackass or the real world or Cribs or Pimp My Ride will appear. And it will just be like, how did we never see this coming? That's where it's really interesting. But to my point, I think when I, when I look around the content landscape, and I, I spend most of my time looking at YouTube, to be honest, but I think it's probably fair to say it's the same for consumers of podcasts and Twitch streams. What I see is two pillars in the, the creator economy. So there's build an audience, monetize that audience, and then it stops. And what creators have become increasingly adept at doing is building bigger audiences and monetizing them harder. So they're selling you courses or they're selling you merch or they're selling you chocolate bars or virtual restaurants or these yeah, kind of things. Token gated content, like, you know, paywalled content, Patreon, that whole thing. Patreon, exactly. And like Amaranth on OnlyFans is making like, like not Mr. Beast levels, but pretty close. And this is OnlyFans we're talking about here. This is, yeah. this is insane. So what, when, when I look at that, I think these creators retain all the value. Now, to be fair, the platforms also retain a huge amount of value, but who's getting screwed here? The audience. Now, if I'm a creator and I say, hey, guys, please like and subscribe and hit that bell because it really helps the algorithm, then effectively what I'm asking my viewer to do is work. Now, it isn't a lot of work, but it is work, and it's work that contributes to my economy. And I think that relationship is flawed. I think it's the bit where Web3 right now can disrupt things by setting the terms for a different kind of engagement or relationship with a creator. But I don't think any existing creators right now are in a position to even engage with that because A, it's too difficult to understand all of this stuff. B, it's toxic as hell right now. So why would they? It's not a great look. Their community 
mostly will turn on them because you know nfts burn down the planet and see why would they because yeah, they have it a disrupts good thing everything they've got a good thing going so i think the the challenge this is coming to the good bit the challenge is for a creator to come and and do the thing that they do operate at that scale and basically completely change the paradigm for how audiences partake in the entire journey. So imagine Mr. B says before he's Mr. B's, listen guys, I'm going to be the biggest YouTuber in the world that there has ever been. Come and have a piece of it with me. Nobody would take that opportunity. Nobody would take that chance because why would they? But then you'd look back in six, seven years time and go, oh, that was dumb. That was really dumb. The most obvious opportunity. The most obvious opportunity in the world. So you kind of need people who are crazy enough to, to jump into an experiment with you to do that. And the only people I know crazy enough to do that are people who buy NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> that's correct. We're here, baby. Well, exactly. So, so that's why I think right now the crazy economy can be disrupted by a creator that comes from this space, but is willing to put it all on the line to be as mad as Mr. Beast, to be as progressive as Mr. Beast, but we have to find a niche to occupy where you can scale to a million subscribers in 12 months and start to make all of this stuff make sense. Because like NFT community, tiny. Crypto, still tiny. If you want to really make do some damage, you need to be at that scale. And then people will start taking notice and they'll start copying you. And if they're copying you, then you've won. Yeah. And the snowball's going at that point. I love the way you're thinking about that. Just a, a follow-up question. So we just talked about like the content creation side, people like you and me, but your previous self, the sort of institutional filmmaker, so to speak, like the traditional filmmaker, <laughs> I'm wondering uh, if you think that Web3, you know, again, that fundamental belief that it disrupts everything, do you think it'll disrupt the filmmaking process on the business side? Like it'll somehow yeah. play into financing films in some creative way? I love that. You just literally call me a fiat filmmaker. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's beautiful. That's another line of t-shirts. I'm going to make so much money off this stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, the, if you, if you look at what happened with music NFTs, people were like, wow, this is going to disrupt everything. And then you kind of get into the, the nitty gritty of royalties and publishing rights and recording rights to songs. It's quite complicated. Film is like a hundred times more complicated. However, talking about Josie Bellini again, and I saw Brian Brinkman was on the stream. Like we were both in a, a forum with the founder of Marvel Studios today, and he's all in on Web3. This is the guy that said, wow. oh yeah, I'm gonna buy Marvel Comics. I'm gonna buy the rights to that. And then I'm gonna make an Iron Man movie. I was like, you, you crazy dude. It's not gonna work. Oh, oh, by the way, we're gonna have cast Robert Downey Jr. Oh, I don't know. John Favreau, oh, I don't know. Killed it. And then look what happened. So he's he's thinking about how you do a Marvel studio, but Web3. And if he's thinking about that, then I'm pretty confident it's going to work. How you arrange all of that, I don't know. But in terms of audience engagement, audience ownership, participation, um, the way teams of people can be distributed and contribute, I don't know what the answer is. I know it's complicated. And I also know that if you're trying to fund a film and trying to give people equity in that film, again, going back to Dan Sickles, he and um, Kai Turner 
oh, yeah, they they really went down like six seven months of pain trying to get this um, trying to figure out how to do like security tokens for for a film. It was a nightmare, absolute nightmare. So yeah. Oh, so, uh, Clement on the channels just said, uh, Mr. Beast recently confirmed he's going to release NFTs. Yes. Um, I actually had a chance to talk to Mr. Beast's team. And it was one of the most awkward conversations I'd ever had. Really? <laughs> so, so his manager, Reed Duxia, incredible dude, just one of those guys whose stories just like you hear him speak is like, wow. He just took a, he was a sports agent, took a chance on Dude Perfect, started repping YouTube, YouTubers, and then came across this kid called Mr. Beast. Who said, "Look, here's what I need to do. I'm going to be at 100 million subscribers within five years." He went, "All right," and you know, took a bet. So I thought I was going in for a conversation with Reed. It turned out no, I was going in for a conversation with his investment team. Reed didn't show up, so I want this really awkward call with his investment team, and they were like, "Tell us about your project." I was like, "Well, I'm going to be doing this, this, and this." And they went, "Yeah, we don't invest in projects." I was like, "Oh," because I would have loved to get this my thinking about Web three in front of Mr. Beast, but like. If Mr. Beast's doing NFTs, great. But it's for me, it's just like, oh yeah, it's just more merch. Like I don't think that's really using NFTs or PFPs as the way I see that they can be used um, to to do something different. It's a piece of merch, just digital. You know, well, it's the yeah. same thing as a hat. It's just digital. It's yeah. not going to fully leverage the technology and the uh, the potential. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I think those guys are. There's a very smart team around him, and I think they would have, they would have gamed it out. But I just don't think that any of these big YouTubers are in it up to the balls the way any of us would be, like genuinely, like fully covered in NFT, <laughs> NFT blood. It's just like <laughs> in in all the pores, you know. Yeah, it feels like. I mean. Most of them, I mean, all of them that have made it big, they're they're just their teams are only going to view it from a monetary view viewpoint, you know, unless they're straight up going for an entirely massive pivot. Uh, it's just going to be another line item of of revenue that can be there. Um, so I want to I want to ask a little bit about your time at the Defiant because you've been there for a while. You've created a ton of content. Like, what are some lessons learned, and you know, where 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 are you headed next? What's up? What's up on the docket for the future of Supermassive? Well, so we we started in the bear market. We just basically, I think we we began just just when the Wi-Fi token had launched for Yearn Finance, so DeFi summer, mm. and we just picked up that whole that whole trend, and then we picked up on NFTs. I made my first digital art film sort of autumn 2020 yeah and then we kind of we were a small channel but we had a we had a loyal audience and we were telling stories in a really weird way and telling stories in a way that nobody else told them because nobody cared and and then things started to get really successful and the bull market picked up and so what we did for better or for worse is we just made a ton of content so a video on monday which is the quick take tutorial on Tuesday, first look on Wednesday, taking a look at a new thing. Then we were doing School of Block with Ledger. So that was a whole other show that we did weekly. And then we were doing a show with Real Vision. And then Thursday was a live stream. And Friday was the big weekly film, which is where I put most of the creative work in. And then on the weekends, we didn't do anything. But like just trying to think about that much content, I don't know how we did it. 
It's no know. joke. <laughs> You're looking at P.O. P.O.'s P.O. does like two live streams a day, uh, every day. It ain't what he's doing, man. What he's doing is is next level stuff. That's crazy. And that, and that volume to be putting it out at that clip is insane. Yeah, it was it was nuts. Um, and I say it was because now it's finished. Um, whoa, whoa, what's finished? Yeah. So after two after two and a half years or thereabouts, uh, being the defiant, tomorrow will be my last day. Tomorrow I will put out my last video. I did my last live stream today. And so this is this is the week where I say adios to the Defiant. Wow. That Whoa. is the end of the era. <laughs> <laughs> it's over. Okay. So what's yeah. next? Well, so the the the, the backstory to all this is that it's very clear to me as soon as energies hit that that was kind of where my head was at and creatively and everything else. It was just really exciting. I've loved DeFi. I've loved having to research DeFi and understand it and understand the protocols because they're the underpinnings of everything. If you can understand the economics of that and also the governance and the systems, it, it, will, it will give you a really good grounding for making better decisions in everything else. And it's what it's also done is it's put me on the radar of some incredibly smart people who can help me figure out the thing that I want to figure out. So where the Define is, is kind of crystallizing is in this most trusted source of information for DeFi. And they need to kind of be more sensible and serious and more kind of into the data. And it's not really my area of expertise. So where I want to be is the most entertaining source of information. So as of next week, my new company will be called Based AF. Based AF, as Love in it. based as fuck. <laughs> and we are we're going to be we're going to be focused on the metaverse there's a couple of reasons why i'm focused on the metaverse firstly it's fascinating i think it's going to be the biggest story in tech for the next 20 years and it encompasses all sorts of different things it encompasses vr it encompasses ai it encompasses sociology education politics it will be everything and i want to be right there at the start of that secondly the crypto cycle is brutal like if you're trying to create content and build audiences and then every like 18 months, everything just gets burnt to the ground, it's really hard to build a business that way. And the kind of things that we want to do, they need to be a bit more stable. Tech in general is quite stable when it comes to YouTube and it, when it comes to content creation. So it's a better place for us to be. And if we need to, we can pivot to sort of slightly different things. The other reason that I am really want to be in the metaverse is because we have a built-in supervillain who is mark zuckerberg mark. Yeah. <laughs> so we always have something that the media will talk about and the media will in, like inevitably be critical of because they're critical of zuckerberg's history not his future which is fascinating for me because when i listen to him talk about the metaverse and i, and I think about it in terms of my own view on the metaverse i'm fairly well aligned with him I'm not necessarily aligned with how he's gone about everything up to this point, but where he's trying to go is really interesting. So it also happens that I, I, I love VR, for instance, and I love playing games in VR. And that is such a fast moving, fast growing industry that's still kind of niche that from a content creator perspective, if you're looking to, to move into an area where there's not a lot of content being made, but there's also huge value attached to it from an advertiser perspective, from a brand integration perspective, it's pretty good. 
So all of those things line up for based to make videos about that. What we're actually going to do though, it's been way more like Mr. Beast. So all the stuff that people loved about the videos we made, which was like the first 60 seconds or the first 90 seconds, that's everything. And we're going to be doing probably a video every two weeks, which is just bat shit. Like you, won't, crazy believe clip. The, the, you won't believe what we're coming up with. Um, but it will be metaverse focused. And, and our, like my thesis on the metaverse is that it should be fundamentally human, social, and physical. And all of those things are not words that you normally associate with the metaverse, but like maybe social, but th the other bits, for me, that's really important. So not just, oh, it's all in VR, but there's a physical human being and you know, there's a physical effect to the things that you're doing. And then the human side of it, it's like, it's not just a cartoon avatar you can't have a conversation with or relate with, there's a human being. And there's so many different ways to attack that problem. But what we challenged ourselves to do is build a stonking big audience really fast in order to do the things that we wanted to do in terms of changing the audience relationship through Web3. Because like I said, this doesn't work unless you scale up fast. And there's only one way to scale up fast is pick a niche. It's a very valuable niche. And then just make the craziest videos you can with like with no holds barred. So all of those things line up for like base AF is going to be a very different flavor of beast to what we've been doing before. Um, a lot of stunts, a lot of like high level, high concept pieces. And what we managed to do was persuade a bunch of very exciting investors to come on board, give us some money for that. But we're also going to do an NFT drop somewhere around the first week of October. No, November, first week of November. Let's get the numbers right. I was like, October uh, is in two days, so <laughs> let's go. If we, wow, we're not ready for that. But no, we're going to do our own collection and it will have utility. But the thing is, I can't tell you what that utility is until the sale is over. Spoiler. But they will be called the base heads. And one of the key things that the base heads will do is be participants in what we call the show. So if you're going to do stuff in the metaverse, and a lot of cool stuff happens in the metaverse, nobody shows up. So the first problem we have to solve is we have to make it so that people show up. So our base heads will be our inbuilt audience. They'll also be a, like a viral engine because we're thinking about what is what is really required to make something viral. You need basically like the first four hours after a video is published, like a lot of people to watch a video through to the end and like and comment and these kind of things. So. If we're asking our community to do some work for us and we'll give them something back for it, we need it to be a very low lift. So you could watch a video, watch it all the way to the end, but you don't even have to be in the room. Can they do that? Well, yes, if they're incentivized the right way. And we've got all sorts of interesting things we want to do in terms of um, rehabilitating the way we think about NFT performance metrics. So if I tell you, you know, if I ask you what is the performance metric by which you judge your NFT, it, the answer is obviously money floor price floor floor price <laughs> yeah so how do you how do you shift the conversation from a performance metric of floor price to something else without it pissing people off and that's a really important question because floor price kills everything so how do you how do you make floor price still important but without it being the prime performance metric and that's one of the things that being a youtube channel particularly one that's designed to scale fast and compete with like top creators that's the luxury that you have and you can you can invoke that i'm not going to tell you how you have to stay tuned for that but that's kind of how we're, how we're thinking yeah i love it so if i'm getting this right so based af you've got you're basically 
you're going to be like a metaverse content company uh, disguised as a tech focused uh content creation company like to the lay to the lay person they're gonna think that doesn't know anything about nfts and stuff they're gonna say oh this is a, an interesting tech channel that talks about the future uh but yes. you're really trying to sucker us all into the metaverse which i love i love that yeah basically because I, I find the metaverse fascinating and i think it's got so many interesting things to offer and there's also just so many companies spending a buttload of money on it and the content around the metaverse is almost non-existent you know the, some big content creators will make one film about it because it's in the news and then they trend jack and it's done there's a few high level podcasts but it's basically it's the same show every time which is oh my god look how many users roblox has this is incredible uh adobe's uh investing in uh, the metaverse uh, <laughs> universal file format so it's a 20 trillion dollar opportunity or you get the Hey guys, buy this, buy this land. It's gonna go up a thousand X and you're gonna make tons of money. I promise you, fam. I've seen it on the internet. So like what's in between? What's the what what else is there? So we we just said, um, how, how can we make the metaverse really entertaining? And then slowly kind of tease in some other stuff. And then like one of one of the key things that we did this last year was we invested in a, an optical motion capture studio, which is nuts. Um, I don't know so what that means. Based, well, remember the film Avatar, right? <laughs> yes. Aliens, they're re-releasing yes. it right now, by the way. It's like, but they're going to release it again a decade later. Times. Yeah. yeah, they're going to do it five times. Um, oh, by the way, if you, the, the funniest SNL short you'll ever see is it's Ryan Gosling oh. getting mad. At the You've font? seen Papyrus. Yeah, Papyrus. Yeah, yeah. Oh so God. good, dude. It's so the good. best. Yeah. yeah. Oh, look, duarchi.c has said based af.eth is registered till 2029. Yeah, good spot, mate. Good spot. Did you try and steal it? Was that was that I you that you registered it? Did you register it? Guilty as charged. Dude, fantastic work, P man. People well love done. squatting on that shit. People email me all the time, uh, ENS things that they think I'm going to want. I'm like, I don't want that stupid thing. Stop, stop DMing me a screenshot of that. So someone was trying to squat on it right there. No, I think I think we got based hyphen AF because we we <clears throat> we looked at based AF and and you look at it and you go based DAF. Based DAF. We have a hyphen. Yeah. We have a hyphen, so it's based AF. <clears throat> but That's yeah, nice. um, I, so anyway, the optical motion capture studio. It's basically you've seen people in like weird suits with ping pong balls on them. Yes. Like like you know puppeting characters. We 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 got one of those. Oh, nice, um, nice. Which is which which is. It's not a thing you do, but we did it anyway <laughs> um, because of the ApeCoin airdrop. We could. I mean, what a year. <laughs> yeah. It's like I took my uh, winnings uh, from the Ape Lottery this year oh, and uh, well, I had to explain in an optical that. motion studio. I had to explain that to our bank. I was like, where did this money come from? Well, sir, it started off with this ape, which I bought regularly here. And then it's this dog, and there's this mutant. And then, <laughs> wouldn't you know, they just gave me a lot of money. It's like, oh, my God. So, yeah, so that, that happened. Was this then, in London, yeah, we, by the way? It just makes it better if it was in England, you know? It just it just feels much more formal with the accent. It's just beautiful. Well, you can – I'll let you have that fantasy, but no, it was um, <laughs> it was it was in Holland. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, it, it's the, like there's a tech tuber called Marcus Brownie, MKBHD, and he. Um, yep. Oh yeah, 
Huge he, he invested in a robot. Yeah, he, he invested in a robot because he said, there's a lot of tech channels that have the same hardware. We basically do the same review. And he said, I can make my stuff look great, but none of them are going to have a robot because it's just too too expensive and too difficult to copy. So our our kind of version of a robot is the motion capture studio because, I mean, there, there's new things coming along where you can film and you can sort of basically get some mocap data out of video. And then there's Rococo suits and XN suits, but all of them have like, they, they have a lot of cleanup you need to do. Whereas the system we've got Vicon, it basically means we could stream from Unreal Engine with multiple people fighting, with props that we can track, with a virtual camera. We can do the whole thing. So we can do an entire show very, very quickly, which means we can be reactive. So we can have a, you know, a story that we write in the morning and then basically put it out in the afternoon and it can be pretty much perfect. And that's, we're talking about like, what looks like very expensive animation in 3D with perfect lighting in a turnaround that's like five hours. And that's the reason we've done it. Because basically when you think about scrolling through shorts and everything else, if you suddenly come across this weird character that's doing TikTok dances or everything else, I'm hoping that you'll stop. And if we, the content's good enough, it'll keep you coming back for more because no one else will be able to do it like that. So wow. we see. Congratulations. That's amazing. Uh, excited to see where it goes. And I, I definitely have full faith that your content will at least be entertaining uh, at a minimum. So uh, we've had you on the show for almost an hour here. Uh, really appreciate the time. I want, I want you to tell us uh, uh, two things, two questions for you, two final questions. The first one is, you know, we're all here just trudging in the bear market uh what's the next year have in store if you if i if i made you predict for all of us here uh in terms of anything in terms of you know the next wave are we just gonna have to slog for another year and then the final question is uh what advice would you give to new people that that are trying to come into the space and and get started in any way you know what would you what would you tell them yeah that's a tough question well i think it's I mean, if you went through 2017, 18, 19, and 20, you'll know what a protracted bear market looks like. I think the only thing you can really do if you are, if you went through all of that and it sucked and you, and you, you took a big hit, plan for the next one because there will be a next one. Everything looks terrible. Yeah. Everything, looked, everything looked just as bad in 2018. The macro picture didn't look anywhere near as weird and as fucked up as it does now. But you know, markets are cyclical. They do turn around, they do recover. And this one will be no different. Like, I can't remember how many times during the last bull, like 2021, people saying this time it's different. But it was the same in 2017. People saying this time it's different. Yes, this time it's different. No, it's not. It's always the same. And yeah. if you know it's the same, then it's really easy to plan for it. So instead of saying to yourself, no, all the evidence that I can see is now going to be trumped by my, by my blind faith in this thing. Or you go, well, no, it did that last time. It did that last time. So I just need to sit tight and then I'm gonna plan for this. Then life is pretty straightforward. Um, so you can just kind of make contact with people, move slowly, um, you know, or do what I did, which is raise money in a bear market, which sucked. <laughs> Sucked. <laughs> no, it was fine. I, I was actually very lucky. I know other people who've been raising money and um it was it was tough for them. I think I'm lucky enough that 
there's not many people in the space that are kind of doing the things that I'm doing. So I had a, I had a, I had a good time with that. And we made some good friends in the last year, but that was, um, that was tough. And then anyone making their first steps in the space, what a great time to be coming in. Seriously. I mean, I, I look at anyone coming in now going, you lucky bastard. <laughs> you've, you've got so much time to plan. You've got so much time to make friends before everything starts to move and go crazy. And you've got so much time to just, you know, plan your entry by over time. You've got probably two years to buy the bottom or buy the dip, which is amazing. Absolutely amazing. So yeah, just uh, enjoy that. You know, everything's crap. Be the contrarian and and um, and reap the rewards when they come back. But I mean, Love that's it. financial rewards for for me personally. Like, base AF will be will be a really fun experiment for those who want to come on the journey with us. And you know, we'll be making content, but we'll also be doing some things specifically for the NFT community that we build around it, because our NFT community is our audience, and there's. There's nothing, I mean, when I say that people are doing work for you, I, I consider that a job. And it's like, if people are really beat down in this space, how can I make that beat down less painful through the content that we make? So that's kind of the obsession that I have at the moment. Blake Robbins, who was um, one of the investors or one of the people that kind of got into 100 Thieves early and, and got that brand up and running. He was writing quite a lot of things about the content, the creator economy, during the pandemic. And one of the things he said was, it should be possible for someone who's a super fan to become a full-time fan. And that has always stuck with me. Like what is a full-time fan look like if it's a fan of me? And so I think one of the things I never did at The Defiant was engage with our audience ever. It was a couple of reasons why probably the most pertinent of them was I was terrified of getting into a position where I gave bad advice inadvertently or or you know people made a purchasing decision because of me you should hop on the morning um, show sometime we do it every day it's fantastic yeah <laughs> um so but yeah but we i was working for a news organization that was supposed to be bi- impartial and like if you've ever watched my stuff you're like i'm not, I'm not impartial at all <laughs> um someone someone was writing a comment earlier like did i get rugged by pack like everyone else and like i probably did more to support the narrative of pack as a <laughs> as a supreme artist than anyone. I made like 12 hours of content about him. <laughs> no, you get, you just don't get it. You don't get it. It's, it's yeah, a, really. And it just turned out to be a rug. <sighs> the art, it's still yeah. performance. The performance is still here and we're still in <laughs> yeah, the, it, you guys. Yeah, we're still in it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So, so that's, um, that's going to be my journey. And like I said, like but the, the opportunity to, to move, the audience away from just NFTs and crypto and, and surf off of different narratives, particularly the metaverse. And we've got MetaConnect coming up next month. We've got a brand new Quest headset coming out, which is going to be pretty awesome. There's just a bunch of stuff that I'm, I'm looking forward to that's going to be not about a protocol because it's very hard to make content about protocols because they're inherently things you can't see. Yeah. You can use them, but then like they're all the same, mostly. It's just like, oh, this it's now on, it's a DEX, but it's on Avalanche. Oh, it's a DEX, but it's on Solana. Oh, it's another DEX. And here's a liquidity farm. Oh, great. Well, I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We are excited to check out Based AF. Uh, I will definitely have uh, you on the radar. Uh, everyone check out Supermassive. 
His wife gave him that nickname, so he's the man. Let's go on. Uh, appreciate your time here, buddy. Let's uh, let's chat soon. Thanks, man. Uh, anytime. Pretty fun. Thank you. We'll see ya. Thanks for joining, man. This was awesome.